Well, amen. My name is Andrew Storms. I'm so excited to be up here today. It's so good to see you. Just for a context, for those of you that perhaps it's your first time, you've been here for a few weeks, I am, uh, one of my roles here is I am one of the church elders, so I'm not on staff, but I get the opportunity to speak from time to time, and I love it. It's a lot of fun for me, and we've been going through a series the last couple of weeks. It's just a short, quick three weeks where Tyler Hardy, our lead pastor, and Chris Pletcher, our family's pastor, they're the other two elders along with myself. We just kind of opened it up in an unscripted way and just said, what is God sharing with each one of us, and what does he want to say to us as the body? And so the message today, yes, it is personal to me, but at the same time, it's something that we believe is strategic for what God is wanting to say here at Antioch in our local body. So this will wrap up the series today. And if I were to title this message, if you're taking notes today, I would simply call it, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. You know, as I read the Bible and as I look at passages, it's so easy to learn from the life of Jesus. He is absolutely our Messiah. He is our King. He is the one that we look to. He is the greatest example that we could ever follow. But sometimes we have this struggle inside of us is that he is divinity and he is all-knowing and he's all-powerful, but me, I'm human and I'm created a little bit differently. So oftentimes in the scriptures, I like to look at different characters that are real, that were really walked this earth and what were their struggles, what were their victories, and how can I learn from that in my life, be it not only Jesus, but his disciples or his followers. And what I want to look at today is just a simple interaction between Jesus and one of his closest followers, who is actually his mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're going to look at some dialogue that they had, and we're going to see, is there something that Mary figured out in her life that we can relate to our lives to draw us closer to Jesus, the Son of the living God? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John. We're going to begin in chapter 2. If you've been in church or read your Bible before, this story may seem a little bit familiar to you. Picking it up in verse number one, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Not in a derogatory way, but Jesus responds to her, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. I want to pull out just a couple of quick observations before we get into the meat of the message, but do you notice that Mary turns to Jesus when she finds out that there's a problem at this wedding? We know from historical documents and records that a Jewish wedding in this time could take up to a week long, but there's this thing that happens is there, the the, the bridegroom and his family are in charge of providing everything, and then the unwritten rule that they have broken mistakenly is that they ran out of wine, 
There's a place of shame that can quickly enter into this scenario, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, turns to him and says, they're out of wine. And so his response to her is one of, it's not really my time. I'm not really supposed to do anything right now. But yet he ends up doing something. And so it's fascinating that the son of the living God in that moment remains submissive to the authority that was currently in his life. An interesting point. Some of you will agree with this. Hopefully everybody will agree with this, actually. It is always good to listen to your mother. (laughs) Always good to listen to your mother. Secondly, notice that when he responded the way that she did, she didn't rudely ignore him, but it's fascinating that she didn't continue dialoguing with Jesus. He just said, my hour, my time has not yet come. And she looks at the servants. We don't know. Did she know the servants? Maybe, maybe not. Said she was invited to a wedding, but we don't know who she knew and who she didn't know. But Jesus and his disciples, she turns to somebody and says, do whatever he tells you. That's great faith. I want to get to a place in my life where I can open up my mouth to encourage somebody and with all sincerity and all honesty, and all honesty say, do whatever he tells you to do. So obviously, there was a love relationship between them. He loved his mother. We know that because even on the cross as he's dying three years down the road, he looks from the cross and he sees his mom and he sees his disciple John and he said, this is now your mother. Mother, this is now your son. Take care of her. And it says that John actually took Mary in as his own. What's fascinating is that if we see this in most biblical historians, they all agree on this for the most part, is that somewhere lost in Jesus's early years is the father Joseph, the, the earthly father, that he has apparently died. So we don't find him at the wedding with Mary. The last time we actually see him is at the temple with Jesus when he's 12 years old, but we have no recollection. But we can assume that at this point that Mary is reliant upon Jesus. And so they're having this dialogue, but he loves his mom. And so before we get back to Mary, because there's something really valuable that she's going to show us in her life I just want to look for a moment at verse number seven. This is so interesting that Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So it says they filled them to the brim. Now, I think the servants are smart enough to know that if wine ran out, they could still serve water. Everybody with me on that? So it doesn't take much effort for them to say, oh, I could have thought of that. But they went ahead and they followed through with a command from this guy that he told them. Now, notice this. We don't know yet in the, the grand scheme of things, what they actually think is going to happen. They just do whatever he says. Has God ever asked you to do something that just seems ridiculous to you? Raise your hand if you've been there before. Amen? He's got a lot of wisdom, though. We have to submit to that. Uh, by permission of the, the family that's here, I asked if I could share this story. Is a couple years ago, we were sitting, my wife and I, towards the back right over there, and we had a guest speaker that day, and he was talking about finances. And towards the end of the message, he said, hey, I want you to just pray right now and ask God, is there somebody in this room that you want me to bless financially? And if he gives you a name, I want you to write it down, and I want you to write down the amount. And so I'm sitting there, and I, I sit down, and I open up my notes, and I wrote down the name uh, Griffin, Michael Lee and Griffin. They, they go to this church, and we're friends with them, and it felt like God said he wanted to bless them. So I asked God, how much money do you want me to give them? He said, $200. So I marked down in my Bible, or not in my Bible, in my notes, $200. So Griffin's $200. There it is, and I left it alone. Well, what I didn't tell you at first was that the night before this happened, my wife and I had probably, to this day still, the deepest 
most intense, real conversation perhaps of our entire lives. It was not arguing. We were not fighting. We were discussing the deep things of God and what has he called our family to do. Are we willing to risk everything that we've ever thought was the American dream and give it up and say, God, we will follow you no matter what. I saw it from the view of a father. She saw it from the point of view of a mother, and there was some discrepancies there, and we weren't seeing eye to eye. We talked for hours. We went to bed. We weren't angry with each other. It was just this, this weight was like on us, and it was, I went to bed thinking, do I really hear from God? So I feel like God's saying this, and he's telling her something different, and how do those two things work together? I'm not sure I'm really able to hear, and I don't know what just happened with my life. And are you with me this morning? And so that's what's happening. And so now when we come and we're sitting in the back and they're talking about finances, I'm probably not even paying attention. I, I listened and I heard that part. So, oh, whatever, Griffin's $200, great. Well, now I get a tap on my shoulder from a lady that I'm kind of at odds with for a moment, my wife. And so I'm like, you know, a little annoyed. You know how you're kind of the weight there and you're like, oh, why are you messing with me, you know? And so she leans over and I'm just, whatever. And, you know, I'm still nice, but just, you know, that, that you know, if you're married, you know what I mean? I'll just stop there. You get it. And so she said, I think I know who we're supposed to give money to. I said, okay, who? And she said, the Griffins. So I kind of stopped. So well, that's interesting. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm kind of having this quick dialogue with Jesus. Like, nah, that's, that's easy. They're in our life group. Like, it's not that many people to choose from. You know, look around. I said, well, how much? And she said, we're supposed to give them $200. And God is my witness. I was right back there. I've never had this happen in my life. I collapsed in a moment and fell on my chair and just began to weep. Not because I had to give them $200, <laughs> but because I knew that God speaks to me and he speaks to Elena right there. And he was like, I've called you as one. Don't you think I'm gonna tell you the same thing? It just looks a little different. Amen, right? So now we go to life group that night. The story gets better, it's not even over. We go to life group that night and so we say, hey, let's, we want to bless the Griffins. They're in our life group. They're a new couple there. And so we pull them aside during worship. The music's playing loud. And we said, hey, we, we, we just wanted to share something with you. So, you know, we're kind of opening up our hearts. Like, hey, we were kind of going through this last night and blah, 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 blah. And so long story short, we just feel like, and they're start, like, we're supposed to give you money. And they just start laughing. I'm like, this isn't funny. Like, just quit <laughs> laughing. And, well, we just felt like we were supposed to give you $200. And they're laughing. I'm like, what, what is so funny? And so they just stop. And they're like, well... We actually prayed for you guys this morning, and I felt like we were supposed to give you $150. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool, you know? And then the husband's like, well, I prayed, and I thought we were supposed to give you $50. So we decided this afternoon, we're just going to add those together, and here's your $200. I'm like, what? And so we literally exchanged $200 like this. We talked, like, we did it. And what was amazing was just this last Sunday night, Michael Griffin and a group of about 30 men, we went around and said, what's one of the greatest things that's ever let you know that your, your walk with God is legit? And he retold that story. He said that it changed the course of his life and of the life of his wife. And I'm like, it did the same for me. And my, the, a simple act of obedience, a dumb $200 that's way gone, it's way spent, that God used that. And he said, today I want you to know that you can hear from me and when you're obedient to me, I will rock your world and I will set you on the path you're supposed to go. Amen? He speaks to us. I'm challenging you. Do whatever he tells you to do. Back to Mary. I have to ask the question, 
Why would she say do whatever he tells you to do? Some people erroneously think that the reason she said that is because she knew him as a miracle worker. Oh, it's a common thought. You know, well, there were some ailments and some sicknesses when their household when Jesus was just a little boy and he probably just reached his hand out and healed him. That sounds good, but it's not scriptural. Because if you look at the next verse in John chapter two, verse number 11, it says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So we know that she told him, do whatever he says, but she wasn't planning on him working a miracle. She just knew that he was faithful, that he could do whatever he said, that it was always helpful. He, she relied on him. Again, we assume her husband's dead, and so she's leaning on Jesus. So I have to ask, what would make her say that, though? Is it just if we rely on Jesus that all of a sudden that kind of comes out of our spirits, like, I'll just do whatever you tell me to do? And so... I started thinking about what, what about the life of Mary? Maybe there's something she went through early in her life that allows her to say that. And so we all, for the most part, know the Christmas story pretty well. We know that the angel Gabriel visits Mary as a young lady, and he said, hey, I know this sounds crazy, but you are blessed. You are highly favored, and the Lord has chosen you, and you are going to have a son. And they're gonna be, he's going to be called the son of the most high God. You're going to name him Jesus. And so we see that. And she gives birth, you know, it's this weird deal with her husband Joseph, and they're there in the manger, and she sees the shepherds, and they come and worship him, and it says that she pondered all these things in her heart, she treasured them. And so these things occur, and then the wise men come later on, and they're giving him gold, and frankincense, and myrrh, and Simeon and Anna are prophesying over her in the temple, and she's like, wow, this is crazy. And so I'm like, well, that's kind of cool that she gets to give birth to Jesus. So I think if I could have done that, I'd have been pretty close to him, and I probably would have relied on him just as well. But the only other story we have to, to come off of is really when she's there at the temple with him at age 12. Because at first I think, well, Mary's, she's kind of a unique individual. Like it's almost like this, this whole thing's rigged to where she's, I don't know, is, is, is she perfect? Is she like somebody that's more special than me that, I, that she has access to Jesus because she gave birth? Like that's kind of a thought I had. But as you read about him at age 12, it says, and we're not going to go through it today. You can look for it. Uh, you can do, do it yourself a little bit. It's in Luke chapter 2. You can read it later this week. But she actually, her and her husband Joseph, they're going up for the Passover, and they take Jesus. But then it says when they leave to go home, they assume that he was with, uh, with their friends and with their family, and they get a whole day away, and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't find, I can't find Jesus. And they're in straight panic mode. And they go all the way back to Jerusalem, and for three days, three whole days, this lady has no idea where her son is. I say this so gently, but to me, that throws perfection out the window. This mother has just <laughs> left her son. You realize that she never, in three days, never once thought to look at the temple. That tells me like she is totally not catching the fact that this is the son of God, and where on, else, you know, where on earth would he be except here at the temple? Like She's not catching that. I like that because it shows how human she is. And they finally find Jesus, and they're like, Oh, my, you, what are you doing? You're driving, my, we're panicked. My, your, your father and I have been looking for you. Why would you do that? And he said, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And they're like, your father's? That's not your, your father lives in Nazareth. I think they had no clue what he was talking. It said that, you read it, it says they had no understanding to what he meant by that. But it, what it does say is that he then returned to Nazareth with them and remained obedient to them. And it said that she treasured all of these things in her heart. It says as Jesus grew up, we have an 18-year gap. 
And it says that he just grew in stature with favor, with man, and with God. So I still have to ask the question, if she's not perfect, because she left her kid somewhere for three days, <laughs> if she had all these crazy things happen to her, what happened in those 18 years that now instead of leaving Jesus, she's like tied, like she's right up there with him and she wants to know everything that he's doing. And anytime he opens his mouth, she has full faith that he's able to help. So what is it that she had access to that maybe we do just as well? This is a one-point sermon. You get one, if you're taking notes, there's one answer. There's only one answer as to why Mary had such great faith and why Jesus responded to her the way that he did. Here it is. You ready? She spent time with him. That's it. She spent time with him. For 30 years, she got to know who Jesus was. And I know what you're thinking. Well, yeah, she spent time with him. She's his mother, right? Gave birth to him, nursed him, fed him his bottles, cut up his vegetables for him, changed his diaper, rocked him to sleep. It's not fair. I'd, I'd, I'd be close to Jesus if I got to do that. I'm not saying I want to have a baby, but if I did and I was Mary, it just, just doesn't, it doesn't seem fair. Like that's, yeah, she's blessed. She had to spend time with him. What's interesting is you look at the dynamic of a parent and their child is that at a young age, it's not even the child's choice if they want to spend time with them. It's the parents. The parents dictate where the kids go. Did you know that he's always willing to spend time with us? It's always on our end to determine whether or not we want to have him around. But I still have to ask the question, if she nursed him, she raised him, of course she's blessed. Of course she understands him. But you know what? They had the exact same thought 2,000 years ago. Somebody was on my wavelength. They're thinking the same thing I was, like, this ain't fair because this lady's got it better than I have it, right? So look what it says. Jesus, one time in Luke chapter 11, he's actually speaking on casting out demons and all of a sudden, this lady in the crowd interrupts him. And look what she says. She said, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. That's awkward while he's talking about demonic things. Like, she literally interrupts him. And so she's having this thought, like, this guy's talking about all these weird things, but, man, his mom must have been someone pretty special. And look at his response to her. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. If you want to talk about the truth, prosperity message, that's it right there. You do what God tells you to do when he tells you to do it. That's it. We have the same capability to know him as his mother did. He didn't call her, yes, she's blessed. He just said, you just listen to me and you're just as blessed. Amen? That gives me a little bit of hope today. If Mary were standing here herself today, what do you honestly think she would tell us? Would she say, hey, look at me, magnify me, come follow me? No, she would say, he's blessed. I'm not the blessed one, he's blessed. This is the son of the living God. So it goes back with the question is, do we spend time with Jesus? I wanna get to a place where I'm able to open up my mouth and where anything he says that I obey, it's this, this balance of trust and obedience, it all goes hand in hand. Well, spending time with Jesus, the enemy wants you to think that that's legalistic, that we would ask you, hey, we want you to spend 30 minutes a day, you know, focused attention, spending time with Jesus. That's legalism. Why wouldn't he want you to think that? That's like his greatest thing is he wants to move you away from a relationship with Jesus. So he's going to make you think all these things that are off just a little bit, well, I don't have to do that to know Jesus. 
Did you know if you take legalism, something like spending time with Jesus, if you will turn it just one degree, it turns into discipline. That's all we're asking for is just discipline, right? So look what it says. I know sometimes you, you feel like we're kind of hounding you here at, at Antioch, spend time with Jesus. That's because it's not legalistic. It's a discipline. And what it says right here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8, it says physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way because it promises life both for the present and for the future. That's my excuse for not working out, by the way. I just read my Bible instead. <laughs> so what we're doing is we're, we're talking about, just briefly for a moment, we don't have time to go into a whole teaching on spending time with Jesus. Like that's how we become like Mary. We become obedience, this relational thing. It's not a I'll sign up and I'll say whatever Jesus wants me to do. Yeah, that, that's me. Count me. And it has nothing to do with that. It's all relationally Driven. When we spend time with Jesus, there's so many people here that we do it differently, but it's all about getting to know him. He has created us uniquely. For me, it looks like this. I wake up, and the first thing I do when I spend time with him is I just I open up the Psalms, and I begin to read. Most time, it's random, and I just look, and I just keep reading, and within a few pages, something will strike me. And I'm like, that's the verse that I need to hang on to for today, and I just begin to dwell on it. Sometimes I write it out. And I just ask God, what are you saying inside of this? It's usually from a place of worship and things like that. And even recently, sometimes I'm not the biggest guy into music. Some people, they have to start, you know, they play their, their, their phone and they're listening to music and they're worshiping God. And that is great. And I do that from time to time. Uh, one of the songs I'm listening to now, I love the words. I just wanted to share it with you. I listened to it this morning again. The, the, the title of the song is You Know My Name. And what it says inside, it says, oh, how you comfort me and oh, how you counsel me. I love the counsel of God because that's why I spend time with him. I don't have a clue how to do this life, but my creator does. He knows what he needs and he knows what I need. He knows what he needs from me and he wants to give me everything that I have. We spend time, we pray, we open up the scripture. You know, people will sometimes say, well, I don't know how to hear from God. Well, one of the ways you hear from God really well is you start reading a book that he wrote because then when you start reading this book and these thoughts start coming in your mind, like, I've read that somewhere before. That's God. That's God speaking to me. And it's amazing the more that you read Scripture and you open it up, when you start praying, you start writing things down, you'll find your hand flowing into an actual Scripture that you know. And you're like, that is God speaking to me and through me. What I've noticed in my personal time with Jesus is that as I, as I dive deeper into it, there's a greater ask by him and there's greater obedience by me. I want to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know why we get so scared of the word obedience. It's just, it's not a cool word in our society. But the Bible talks about that Jesus himself obeyed. It said that he obeyed so much that he even went to the cross. He was so obedient even to the point of death. He remained obedient not only to his mother, but to his father, the heavenly father. And so, you know, she did this, even Mary talking about, you know, do whatever he tells you to do. She did that, obviously, from a place of understanding who he was and being close to him. So I'd like to say it to you this way, that obedience is a byproduct of relationship. Again, you don't sign up for obedience. You sign up for relationship, and that comes out of it, is that obedience. I can prove that to you. If I were to go into Kingdom Kids on a normal week, let's say in the fall when it opens back up, I have a daughter sitting right here, six-year-old Gracie. And so she's back there in the first through sixth grade. Let's say there's 35, 40 kids in there. If I, as her father, 
walked into that room at the door, and I opened the door, and everybody looks at me, and I said, hey, I need you to come with me for a minute. Who do you think is going to get up and follow me? Her. Why? Because she's obedient? Well, some of the other kids might be obedient too, but she knows me. She's in relationship with me. Why wouldn't you want to follow the one that you trust? Why wouldn't you want to follow the one that you know? And so that's the goal. It's not for her to be obedient. It's because I invest in her, and she invests in me, and a simple command is an easy, easy act of obedience. Father God, he invites us into the same thing. I love this passage in Psalm chapter 81, verse number 13. Listen to what he says. He says, if my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. He just wants us to listen to him. He wants us to know him, to spend time with him. So as we begin to land this plane today, I want to answer the question, what is obedience? What is obedience? I heard this just last week on a podcast. I loved it. It's a great definition. It simply says this, obedience is listening to and following God despite your desires, opinions, or circumstances. You know what I love about obedience? It requires no waiting time. If you say, hey, I'm not a patient person, great. You don't have to be patient to obey. You do it just like that. It takes endurance to do what he's called you to do. It takes no patience. One of the psalmists even approaches this in Psalm 119, verse 6. He says, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. We ask our kids to obey completely, quickly, with a happy heart. Father God does the exact same thing for us. You know, here at Antioch, it's a big theme. We have created a culture of worship. It's not just about having, you know, good instruments and good singers and all those things, but it's an attitude. We want to worship God with all of our hearts. It's not just singing. Like, if we ask what is worship, most people say we're standing, we're singing, we're raising our hands. But I want to show you something today that I found so fascinating this week. Look at Psalm 119, verse 48. It says, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. The psalmist is literally raising his hands not to give God credit, not to give God honor, but to say, give me more commands. I love your commandments. I love your statutes. Help me. Counsel me. Give me more. When was the last time you worshiped from a place of obedience. When was the last time I worshiped from a place of obedience? He has invited us into that, but it only comes when we take time out of our day, inside of our day, throughout the day of spending time getting to know the Savior who is Jesus. You can remain seated, but I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up at this time. You know, if you look at the phrase just by itself, and it just, it just has been stuck with me for the last month or so, just the phrase, do whatever he tells you. It's what Mary said there at the wedding. You know, if you're in a discipleship relationship with somebody, this is the greatest phrase you can offer them. I promise you, bar none, this is the greatest challenge you can ever give somebody that you're working with is do whatever he tells you. You say, well, I like to mix in my opinion. 
I like to mix in mine sometimes, but you know what? It falls way short. So our goal, if you're in a discipleship relationship with somebody and they've come and asked you and say, hey, will you, you know, disciple me? Will you work with me? Yes, but what your goal should be is not to tell them what to do, but you begin to train them and teach them how to hear God for yourself. That's what we're doing. I'm amazed at times some guys, because I'm an elder, want to have lunch with me, and I can just tell in, this, in, the, in the conversation, like, you're not, as, you're not as smart as I thought. Like, I can just sense that. And they're like, they're waiting for me to give them some great advice, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Ask God. Like, ask him for yourself. I can help you read the Bible. I can help you pray. And they're like, that's all you do? That's it. I'm not smart enough to do the rest of it. None of us are, really. Now, counsel is good. Don't, don't hear me say something that I'm not. Counsel is wise. We have to have good counselors. We have to ask for help. We have to seek out knowledge from our elders. We have to do all of those things. I am not minimizing that. But God himself is wanting to speak to you. He's wanting to tell you about yourself. He's wanting to give you mandates. He's wanting to release things that he's just been waiting on you just to simply ask him, and he will give it to you. You know, what's really cool is that this series wasn't planned out at all. I didn't call Chris and ask him what he's talking about. Didn't ask Tyler what he was talking about. If we, if we thread through these last three, three weeks, the first week was on consecration, setting yourself apart, just saying, God, this, I'm just in. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna clear out all the idols, and I'm gonna consecrate myself to you. Last week, Tyler talked about endurance. Man, you're gonna need that. There's some trials that come up in life every day, every week. It's challenging. You have to have that as you've consecrated yourself, challenging. And now we're stepping into a point of faith and obedience. Again, it's not a simple yes. It's not a just sign me up. It's a I have to invest. I want to know him and I want to know him more. So we're just going to take about 30 seconds here. And this is what I'm going to ask for you to do. I just want you to ask God right now. You say, Andrew, I don't even know what you're saying. Just, just follow my advice. Trust me. We're just going to ask God what are you saying to me right now? I want you to repeat that. I'm going to say, Father God, what are you saying to me right now? Just listen for 30 seconds. Amen. If we go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're on our prayer team, life group leaders, if you'll make your way up here for just a moment. Rhetorically, I have to ask you, what did he say to you? What did he say? Andrew, I don't know if it was God. You know, it's only him that gives us holy desires and holy thoughts. He talks about that in scripture. If what you thought in your brain, if you've never heard him, if what you heard or what you sensed was good, it was pure, it was lovely, it was excellent, it was worthy to be said again, it's from God. He, it's, it's, not, it's not this mystical thing where like, I don't know if I hear, just trust and obey. It's all you have to do is just trust and obey. Again, my challenge to you is if you struggle with that, open this up more, open this up, read, read about his life, read the words he said, and you'll get to know him more. You know, what's really cool about the end of the story is that Mary had no clue 
what he was going to do or what he was going to say. And even the master of ceremonies hit on it really well. He said, you know, it's kind of awkward, but it feels like you saved the best for last. I love that about Jesus, the God we serve, that he never gives it to us all up front, but he actually saves the best for last. And he wants to pour out his wine, his new wine into us. But you know, the scripture talks about you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Some of you today, he may have told you something. It has something to do with ridding yourself of the old wineskin. That there's things in your life that he wants to eradicate. He wants to pull those things out. It's a safe place to do that this morning. It's always, always safe in the hands of Jesus. Always safe. He's a loving God. He's not here to shame. He's not here to expose. He's here to set free. He's here to have you walk closer with him. You know, throughout scripture, we find that a simple yes often requires a step of faith. You actually have to do something. So what does that look like for us this morning? I'm not trying to manipulate you or coerce you in any sort of way, shape, or fashion. But if you feel like today God is speaking to you and you're like, I need to act on that. What I want you to do in just a moment is you're gonna step out of your seat and you're gonna come down here. You can come and talk with somebody and say, here's what I feel like God's saying. I just want you to agree with me. Pray with me. Pray over that word that he just gave me. Speak to me. I just need that encouragement. Or maybe you just wanna come down here to the front and just say, God, I don't, I don't even know what that means. I just wanna come down here and just say, I'm all yours. I wanna spend time with you. I wanna know who you are. He wants to pour out his new wine on you this morning. Even this morning, as before I got to church, I was writing some things down, and I just said, God, what are you saying today? And he just said, I'm at the door knocking. And he said, if you will open it up, anybody that you speak today, if they will open up the door, he said, today, today, I will come in. Not down the road, today, I'm ready to come talk to you. He's ready, he's willing, he's able to speak to us. I'm going to pray, and then as I do, you can come make your way down. Jesus, we just thank you so much. We thank you that this is not difficult. It costs us everything. It costs us our lives, but wow, it costs you yours way more. You've always said yes to us. That's why you came to earth, as you said, yes, Father, I will go and I will make a way for my people to return back to us. I'll do it. I'll do it. If this cup can pass before me, some other way, let it happen. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I will do, Father God, whatever you tell me to do. God, we want to reciprocate that and say it to Jesus. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we will do whatever you tell us to do. Lord, your word says in Psalm 119, great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Thank you that you're a God of peace, that you love us that you know us, we just say we want to spend time with you. We honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.